It's better to die chasing a dream never caught than to die never having chased the dream. Welcome to the Bro Novo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Hello and welcome to the show, everybody. This week I have an awesome conversation with Joyce Fields. Joyce is the author of 10 books. She's a lifelong reader and writer and coupled her passion for writing with her mission to inspire people to make the world a better place. It was an absolute pleasure to speak to her and pick her brain on some of her perspectives and lessons for the rest of us. Enjoy. And we're live. Good afternoon, Joyce. Thanks so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I was really excited to read about your work and your career, author of 10 books, with a lot of great titles, everything from My 15 Dogs to The Best Way to Keep a Man is to Let Him Go to Jet Black and Her Seven Friends. So, yeah. Well, my, my 15 Dogs was written by my sister. She wrote one, I wrote 10. So there are 11 books at goodshortbooks.com. 11 books there. My sister wrote one, the one that you talked about with the dogs. She wrote that. Awesome. One. So I imagine you're close with your sister then. Are you, you have a, a tight knit family? Yes, I'm the oldest of seven. Our oldest brother passed away in 2013. He had lung cancer. So I was devastated with that one, but life goes on. So Certainly, certainly. Yeah, I'm the youngest of three myself, so I have an older brother, older sister. Luckily, everyone's happy and healthy after last year, last year especially. So Yeah, yeah, good deal. For sure. And then I've heard you talk a lot about family in my preparations with speaking with you. Uh, it seems like it's something you've spent a lot of time thinking about as it relates to being a sister, being a, an aunt, a cousin, a daughter, and then being a mother as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one book that we were going to kind of focus in on. So I think that would be an awesome place to start. Could you describe that that book about parenting for us, please? Well, th- th- this book came about because I wrote it in 2003. And I was seeing so many young mothers at the mercy of their toddlers. So I didn't understand why they would allow the children to control them and to to be their leader instead of them leading the child. And so this is why I wrote the book. It's only 48 pages and The title is Mother's Dozen, An Easy Recipe for Raising Great Kids. It goes into the the foreword. Let's let's go with the foreword first. The foreword was written by Reverend Cecil Chip Murray. He he is the retired minister of Fane Church, one of the biggest churches in Los Angeles. And he says in this foreword, Mother's Dozen is a handbook of excellence in raising children. It systematizes the rules passed from generation to generation regarding preparing children for the world to come. It involves tough love. It encompasses touchy-feely. It establishes fences that keep the wolf out and the sheep safe. It is common sense, the most uncommon thing in the world, particularly in the present age of negative imaging and self-raised rugrats. 
The quest is not for something new, but for something substantial. It is here. Every line brings an aha experience. The head nods yes, the will prods action. Well done, well done. Reverend Cecil L. Chip Murray, First AME Church, Los Angeles, retired. So when I finished the manuscript, I sent it off to some of the uh, established publishing houses, and they, they sent me back rejection letters telling me that they only published these kinds of books if they were written by celebrities or a minister or a psychologist. So I thought to myself, who wants to raise their kids the way celebrities raise their kids? So <laughs> I said, well, no, I don't want that. Uh, and I had a, I have a cousin who attended this huge church in Los Angeles. So I emailed the manuscript to the minister of the church and asked him if he would be interested in reading it and writing a forward for it. And this was the forward that he sent me back. I almost passed out because it was such an awesome forward written by, by him. So what I am trying to do here is telling people that some kind of tips and guidelines. And, and the, the Reverend said that I systematized it already. So this is what I want people to know. Uh, the last page is what makes my son so great. And it was written. I wrote this book based on the way that I raised my son. He is always mannerable. He is very polite and respectful, especially with his elders. He loves to learn and experience experiments with new approaches in order to learn more. He is a responsible person and does not expect others to pay for his mistakes or wrong choices. He suffers negative consequences with dignity. He consciously lives his life with rules, order, and organization, thereby minimizing tension, stress, anger, conflict, and confusion. He is independent and seldom borrows or asks for assistance. He is exceedingly spiritual with a powerful belief in God. He regularly vocalizes his awareness of and thankfulness for his many blessings. He enjoys giving and receiving hugs and kisses. He usually takes care of must-before-shoulds, needs before wants, and business before pleasure. He demonstrates that he can effectively follow rules and instructions when appropriate. He is patient, seldom loses his temper, and uses time wisely. The last one, he has a truckload of family members and friends who love, admire, and respect him and often seek his opinion or point of view. And that includes me. I admire my own child. He's 51 years old, and I wrote this book based on the way that I raised him. So then, you want to say something? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I have a lot to say. That's incredible. <laughs> so to, to circle back, kudos to you for reaching out to the Reverend uh, Cecil Murray for, and, and asking. I think there's a great lesson there for everybody listening around backing yourself and making the ask because a lot of times, you know, the worst thing that happens when we ask for, for an opportunity is we get a no. And then sometimes we get the yes and it's, yes. it's incredible. So I just want to point that out. That, that's pretty awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> now here, <laughs> here are the ingredients that I, I call them ingredients. Mother's dozen. 
an easy recipe for raising great kids. So these are the ingredients. Start from infancy. That's number one. Number two is manners. Number three, love for learning. Number four, responsibility. Number five, rules, order, and organization. Number six, independence. Number seven, spirituality or a higher power. Number eight, affection. Number nine, discipline or self-control. Number 10, feed interests. Number 11, obedience. And number 12, Mm. the last ingredient is patience. You have to teach all of these ingredients. You have to teach them to your child. That's awesome. I am curious to hear about your your influence for spirituality or higher power. Um, I know from my research and listening to your other conversations that you didn't grow up in a particularly religious household. You know, you could go exactly. to church. Or, you know, you had the option too, but it wasn't uh, you know dictated. Mm-hmm. So, I also want to bring that up because I think my generation. I'm 25, 26 next month. There's a bit of a avoidance or less of a association or identity with organized religion mm-hmm. than the previous generations. And we, we can go into that as to why there's a lot of you know theories. I have theories about why that is, but as far as your, your organization of, you know, these ingredients and raising it, what about the spirituality you okay. know, adds, adds value for you? So this, I'll uh, read part of the, the spirituality or the higher power part. When I was growing up, religion was an option. We did not have to go to church, but we were taught to believe in God. We said grace before we ate and we said our prayers before we got into bed. Then I learned that there were a lot of different religions in the world, each claiming to be the one. I couldn't decide which one to believe, so I chose none. When Kanto was little, I didn't think it was right to steer him into any particular religion. He was taught to believe in God and that you did not have to go to church to be with him. He is always with you, no matter where you are or what you are doing. Kanto was also taught to live by the golden rule. Being a good person does not require religion. As a matter of fact, I told him some of the cruelest, most evil doing, biggest sinners I had ever met went to church regularly. I trusted that in time, he would find all this out on his own and make his own decision. He did. He's working on his second reading of the Bible and the Quran. He has a very strong, powerful belief in God, and he tries to live by the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's the way he was raised. It's all about the way we were raised. You can always go back and identify the holes, the voids, and mm-hmm. fill them. I love that. That's a very hopeful message because it, it it's the idea that being bring some attention to the process and caring and thinking about mm-hmm. what are my gaps, what are my edges, and where can I where can I improve them? Mm-hmm. The one that resonates with me as far as my upbringing was definitely the manners. My my mom was very, uh, I would say, 
intentional and, and, and strict about manners and we had to be extremely polite. And I think that is one of the best gifts she's ever given me because it opens so many doors. Yes. You know, and, and I think another thing that I've heard a lot, even in the introduction there by the Reverend is that the uncommon nature of common sense. And I think being brought up with that manners forward mindset, it actually kind of creates common sense because if I'm considerate of other people and realize, oh, if I'm coming to someone's house, I should bring a small gift or do the dishes after they cook dinner for me. That kind of creates a sense of what is expected and what social norms are and kind of mm-hmm. creates common sense. Yes, it does. So I think that's a really cool, a really cool connection. Yeah. It's good. Thank you. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is really cool because over the last few weeks on the episode, the, so the show, we try to talk about masculinity and, and model healthy communication for men. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've identified is this lack of a guideline or guidance for, for boys about the kind of men they should be striving to become. But it sounds like with your son and with these, this mother's dozen, these ingredients, you, you have created your own framework of something for, for guys to shoot for. I'm hopeful that that is the case. And I'm very glad and happy that you see it that way because the books are, God bless me and my sister with the talent for being succinct. We say a whole lot in a few words. So that's why the name of the website is Good Short Books. GoodShortBooks.com. <laughs> so they are good and they are short. And it doesn't require a, a book like, what is it, War and Peace or something like that? This, what is it, maybe like two to three inches wide? Right, right. Hundreds of pages. I don't, I don't, I don't even like to read those kinds of authors. It, I, I get to the point. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You don't have to take me around the rainbow to get to the point. <laughs> so that must be interesting. So for you, as far as like what you consume, are you a, are you a reader yourself? And as far as like music, Ooh, yes, television, everything, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was growing up. I have long nails, so uh, they're natural. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I started growing long nails when I was 12. I'm 77 now. So um, my mother would lovingly say to me, uh, well, first of all, let me tell you, when I learned how to read about five years old, I used to sit at the breakfast table with the cereal box in front of me. I would read the front, the back, the sides, the bottom, the top, every word that was printed on that box. And I always loved to read. I used to read matchbooks. <laughs> so anything that was had words on it, I was reading. So from the time I was five years old, I did not know that reading, the love of it, was teaching me how to write. Now, I'm a very slow reader, even to this day. I'm, I never took up speed reading because I just love to look at the words and how they are spelled, how sentences are punctuated. And that's like I was saying, I didn't know that at five years old that I was learning how to write. So I was looking at all the words and the punctuation, and that's what I was learning. And so my mother used to say to me uh, at 12 when she said, Joyce, girl. If you ain't reading the book, you're doing your nails. If you ain't doing your nails, you're reading the book. (laughs) (laughs) 
I used to have books. Oh, my goodness. I read so much stuff. But I didn't know that I was being prepared to be a writer. Mm. I had no clue. I didn't even know that that was one of my goals. It, it, it wasn't in my mind. So I wrote 10 books. And the first one that I wrote was I'm the oldest of seven. And that one is called Line of Serenity. It's all about the way that we were raised. It's a memoir. It goes from 1944, the year I was born, to 1977, the year that our mother died. And it's full of fun and laughter and child-rearing philosophies. All of these nuggets are hidden in that book. That's awesome. Was your mother, would you say, the your model for, for parenting, or did you kind of observe how she raised your family and then kind of up, make updates and take oh, some things you liked? She and- was the total model, my mother. She had seven kids in, in, in a pattern. A girl, two boys, a girl, two boys, a girl. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. She was, she was really something. To circle back to that religious question, because mm-hmm. um, I'd be curious to hear your perspective, because I think there are a lot of people in my generation who, you know, they 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 acknowledge a higher power, they realize that, you know, they're insignificant in the greater scheme of the things, whether it's from a, you know, astronomy perspective of just physically how small we are, or from a spiritual perspective, knowing that we're just these bits of energy floating in the universe. But a lot of people I think have been kind of disappointed in, you know, Catholicism here in the U S or whatever, you know, whatever religion they're raised with. And it was maybe put on them as opposed to something they picked up. What do you see as the future of organized religion for the younger generation that you've observed growing up? And, and how do you think people who, you know, want to be religious and spiritual, but don't really know where to start? How would you kind of direct them? I would direct them straight to the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That would practically eliminate racism, bigotry, and all of this stuff about LGBTQ and, and all of that. We all know people, have them in our family who are lesbian, homosexual, gay, whatever term you want to use. We all know some of those people. They are in our families, in our friends, or in our circle of friends, in our associates. Some people say that it's not a choice. I believe that. I do believe that you are born this way, like, um, Mm. what is it? Uh, Lady Gaga says, born this way. And so (laughs) I try to keep up with stuff. (laughs) So what I raise my son with, if he, if what he is doing is not damaging or uh, harming anybody else's property or rights, then it's okay. If you're not interfering with anybody else's property or their rights, then what you're doing is okay. But if you are interfering with their property or with their rights, then there's something wrong with that. And now is the way that this is going with this voting stuff. Nobody should be disbarred from voting if it's a democracy. So you've got to treat people the way you want to be treated. And that's what I think is wrong with this world. Yeah, absolutely. The voting one especially is, you know, blows my mind somehow creating more barriers 
Yes. For people to vote and describing it as a way to make it more accessible doesn't doesn't make sense to me. It flies in the face of, of the truth. Certainly. And it seems to be a continuation of keeping people who have historically had a harder time voting or been denied the right to vote. We see keeping it. them away from voting. Yeah, we see it. But it's For just sure. a, it's a bunch of lies. So I think that I'm just, I always talk to my husband about all of this stuff because I'm very interested in all this turmoil that's going on mm-hmm. all over this world. And um, it goes back to the golden rule. If, if everybody treated other people the way they want to be treated, it wouldn't be anything like this. You know, so that's all I can say. I just, I just want to see it get better. And I really think that it will because this ain't the 1960s. No, it's not. And there's been a lot of, you know, new discussions, right, since last summer and since mm-hmm. it's forever. But, you know, last summer there was this this, this racial awakening mm-hmm. among a lot of white people like myself. Mm-hmm. We kind of got in the conversation, got a little more engaged. So what did you make of that last summer when all of these kind of new voices spoke up? In Oh, the- I was so happy. Latasha Brown, I just love her. Um I mean, it's just so, there are so many uh, black women now that are speaking out and speaking up. And I think that they are getting the point across and also black men. So they're becoming attorneys and, and speaking out. I love Ben Crump. So, you know, we're, we're off onto current affairs now, but that's fine because all of this stuff matters in life. And it always goes back to the golden rule. And I'm glad to hear you say that you are in, in, involved in being woke too. So as they say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the perspective I can offer, right? I'm a young privileged white straight male, right? That's the position I was born into basically. And among my you know, my friends and, and my buddies who I grew up with, you know, there is this natural hesitation among white people to acknowledge what's going on and speak up. Mm-hmm. And in the past, it might have been just avoidance, you know, the whole like colorblind fallacy. And now I think it's more of a, you know, this is a moment for, for us to listen and kind of learn, which which I agree with. But I also think that the line, the message I've been trying to get to my family and other white people is that it's also time to speak up because yes you know the reason this has continued most likely this long is because there is that natural avoidance and and silence by white people i i totally i could not agree more oh my god it's so wonderful to hear you say that Mm. because it's been 400 years how much longer can it be (laughs) i mean it's, it's in plain sight everybody that can that has eyes can open them Mm. and see what's going on so, yeah, over 400 years of brutality and, and mistreatment. So that's good. It's good. Absolutely. To know. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And that's, you know, I, every time I have, especially other men, because that's kind of the, the common theme I, I ask, but especially with white guys on the show, I, I ask, how have you been engaging with this thing? And, you know, mm-hmm. how are you, how are you approaching it? How are you getting involved in? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that has to become more normalized. I think that white people are the ones who are going to have to solve the problem. Agreed. I mean, because it's, <laughs> I think, uh, I think 
black people have done everything they they can. They've been, you know, they would have done it already. <laughs> it was yeah. possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Oh. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So let's let's pivot over to your your book about relationships and marriage, if we could. Okay. Um, and My- I heard that conversation with uh with Matt. And, you know, there's some interesting lines from that. One of them is men don't know how to act the way women want them to act. Yeah. Which is kind of gets at this whole, this whole theory, working theory we have is about, you know, men need to need a guideline or some guidance as far as how to grow up and how to behave. Um, And so maybe, you know, if it's okay with you, I'll kind of offer my perspective on that. Of course. And then. Cool. So, so basically the conversation and, and what I picked up from it, you were saying that relationships in, in men don't necessarily have the, have the framework or the modeling about how women want them to behave in a relationship. They don't get the, the books about relationships. They don't have the fairy tales, you know, told yes. to them. Yes. <laughs> and so there's, and so the, there's a bit of a, you know, it's it's up to the woman to have a kind of a guiding hand and and kind of shape the relationship, mm-hmm. which is interesting because, you know, I, in my relationship, I mean, I I think there's there's that's definitely true. There are times when I just want to, kind of be, you know, blissfully ignorant. Maybe is the way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it's like I don't know. I also believe in this whole, you know, gender equality and the ideals of a partnership. You know. So it's interesting. I wonder if that's just my kind of conditioned reaction, right? Like the the other side of this this woke behavior is maybe this this narrative around gender equality and and kind of the, the narrative I've been told in my generation that makes me a little bit resistant to that somehow too. As far as the that a woman you know has a a bigger responsibility for for leading a relationship. Can you explain that theory, please? You know, in that conversation, you were saying that eighty percent of the oh yeah, the I, it, that's in that's in the book. The best way to mm-hmm. keep a man is to let him go. I say mm-hmm. that on um, take heed, third page. Based on my fifty plus years of observation, I would say that eighty percent of the success of a relationship rests on the shoulders of the woman. This book explains why. Explains why I say that. Mm-hmm. So women, girls, it really starts out as girls. We are fed a line of crap. You know, all this knight in shining armor stuff. And men don't read the books that we read. I used to read, I used to have magazines, romance, you know, uh, and all of this uh, fairy tale stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't even want to say stuff. You know what I want to say. But uh, shit. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> it's just a bunch of crap. Uh, knight yeah, in yeah. shining armor. And, you know, women need to, you know, now they've got chick flicks and I like them. I enjoy looking at them, but I re- I have two sides. I know that this side is fantasy. This side is reality. I try to stay on this side. Right, right. <laughs> so <laughs> you can you can go off into the chick flicks. And you can, you know, it's so, it's so, it's so nice, you know, that they have happily ever after. We just watched Memoirs of a Geisha, and that was a chick flick, but it was really good. But it still is, it's so, oh, it's just so rainbows and sunshine. That is not the way relationships are. But 
then in the movie Memoirs of a Geisha, she had hard times with it. So, so, but I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it, it's a, it's like a chick flick. But at any rate, I was talking about the fact that that is how women are conditioned. Females are conditioned. So, did you know that we all start out as female, as at conception? Uh, no. Well, the the chromosomes, right? X X X Y. It doesn't even matter. Because that's how come men have nipples. Y'all got nipples too. But uh-huh. they're useless. <laughs> they are useless. That's why y'all got nipples. We all start out as female. And men, y'all got to go through a whole lot in order to get your junk. So mm-hmm. y'all have to go through a lot more changes. Women come in solid as a rock. <laughs> For real. Yeah. Check cool. with your doctors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we all start out as female. So women, and I, I keep saying women, so I'm going to start mm-hmm. with girls. Girls mm-hmm. are taught to that boys can be knights in shining armor. They are our go-to. They are our saviors. It is not right the way that girls are being raised, you know? So we, we have to find a happy medium. We don't want to raise girls that don't want guys. We don't want to raise girls that want to try to control guys. We want to raise girls that are peaceful with guys. Do you understand what I'm saying? Peaceful with guys. You know, you all can, you can talk about the differences. So, that's the way that we should raise our children. They can talk about the differences and that the way they see things. Because males see things differently than females. Females see things differently than males. But we can talk about that. There's no reason for it to be ugly, confrontational. Certainly, certainly. And I think there's that is becoming somehow, you know, problematic. It's kind of like maybe when when the whole like PC political correctness culture goes too far and like the differences mm-hmm. between genders are are mm-hmm. or the sexes are are denied. You know, why is it then what about men do you think requires women to take that 80%? Why why is that the best setup? It goes back to mother's dozen an easy recipe for raising great kids. Mm-hmm. Because the men are not Boys are not being raised to recognize girls as equal human beings. We're not trying to say that we're stronger than you all are. Uh, You know, we got more muscle. So some of the women are challenging men on, on the masculinity side of it, you know, so that's not right either. But we have to understand that there are going to be, there's a continuum and it, it goes from zero all the way up to like probably a trillion or a billion or a gazillion, some number that I've never even heard of. So, <laughs> but there's a range. You got to find what's comfortable within that range. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where I think we all are as a people, as a human race. We have to find that range. Mm-hmm. So, so based on the mother's dozen, you know, and the lessons, what are the things you think that the man should be bringing to the relationship then? And I guess as a caveat, we are talking about straight people 
but mm-hmm. right, right. So, yeah, well, I don't know much about mm-hmm. uh, the gay world, so that's mm-hmm. why I just stay away from that, you know. So I don't know mm-hmm. much about that, but the heterosexual uh, males and females, men should be bringing responsibility to the table. You know, one of the things that I I did with my son is I told him to make love to the girl's mind before he makes love to her body. So that is one of the things that I don't think that we're paying enough attention to. You have to talk. You have to communicate. You know, everybody is not on your level. You know, so you have to find someone who is on your level or Mm -hmm. who's close to it. You know, and, and, and just work with it, shape it yourself. Did Certainly. that answer your question? I think so. Yeah. Bringing, it sounds like stability, consistency yes. and responsibility, you know, not yeah, do, instead of yeah, growing up, right. Not being a boy, but being a man in the relationship and being an adult. Yes. Doing what you say you're going to do. Doing what you say you're going to do. Yes. Oh, I know that's, that's, so many people don't do that in I know personal life, professional life, everything. It's it's astounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. And it's it's hard. It's hard to do that. You know, it's hard to be consistent. But that's that's why it's worthwhile. I would say you have to be willing to say you're sorry or I was wrong. Right. You know? Right. Right. And so you that that goes a long way. Apologize. That gets back to the the organization piece too. That you one of the one of the dozen you mentioned about, Mm -hmm. you know, if somebody like get a planner, you know, like if you have your life organized and you have things written down and you know what's up in your schedule, it's a lot harder for things to fall through the cracks and it's a lot easier to meet your commitments and not let people down, which ties into being polite and considerate. Right. And it it Mm -hmm. all, all of these things work together. Yeah. I can see that. If you get, if you get the planner, then you have mm-hmm. to use it. So you can get the planner, but then you can forget to use it or forget to put something in or whatever. So don't don't allow yourself excuses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't allow that. And that's what one of the things that women really like is a man who does what he says he's going to do when he says he's going to do it. You have to be able Certainly. to count on that. And I think that's universal for all relationships, yes. you know, friendships, relationships with an employer, you know, maintaining a job. <laughs> yeah. And Mother's yeah. Dozen is also available in Spanish. I had it translated. Awesome. Into Spanish. And it's Madre Docena. And I can't, I don't suck. I don't speak Spanish. So it's Il Rosita or something like that. The uh, An easy recipe for raising great kids. It's also available in Spanish. It's only 48 pages. So if people would follow, like the reverend says, I systematize the rules. The book is only $7.99. I don't want to break people. I I just wanted to make it very affordable for people to, you know, it makes an excellent uh, baby shower gift or a Mm -hmm. gift to a a young parent, mother or father. And if if the parents are together, it gets, it's even better. That's awesome. I actually have a few friends who just had kids that I think it would be a great gift for. So thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah. It makes excellent, uh, an excellent gift. It talks about patience. Most of us have been in a public place and heard a child crying and screaming for what it wants or doesn't want. That child is not being taught to be patient. 
Mothers can be seen scurrying around trying to meet the demands of their children when instead these mothers should be telling and teaching their children to wait. My theory is when they're old enough to ask, they're old enough to wait. When Kanto was about two, I would deliberately make him wait for me to give him things or do things for him, such as giving him treats or turning on the television. I also would explain to him that if he couldn't wait patiently, he would not get whatever it was. Of course, he tested me a few times and didn't get what he wanted, so he learned to be patient. Once children know that you mean what you say, they will usually act accordingly. Mothers should never be held hostage to the tempers of their children. A temper tantrum is nothing more than a sign of total impatience. When he was growing up, Kanto had only one tantrum. He was no more than three years old. The two of us were in the kitchen. I don't remember what happened, but something didn't go the way he wanted it to. So he threw himself on the floor and started kicking and screaming. I looked at him. Our eyes met. Then I turned and walked straight out of the kitchen. He had no audience, so he stopped the tantrum and never had another one. We do our children and ourselves a tremendous favor when we teach them to be patient and tantrums will not get them what they want. According to science, the human brain has not changed in 20,000 years. The fact that this is the 21st century should have absolutely no bearing on how we raise our children when it comes to those things that will give them a solid foundation. As mothers, we must do everything we can to send them out into the world, standing confidently on their own two feet. I pray that Mother's Dozen can help to guide young mothers in attaining positive, healthy interactions with their children. It's hard work, but the rewards are endless. Beautiful. Teach patience. Make them wait. You really do have the the skill of being concise. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I think I think that leads to this immature masculinity kind of so my last guest, one of my last guests was talking about kind of man children, uh-huh. you know, got, and that's what I'm hearing, right? Is that maybe they never had that lesson of patience taught. Yes. And maybe they, they always got what they wanted. And and even to, to loop it in with the, the racial conversation, you know, maybe these white people who are resistant to a changing dialogue or a more diverse country never had anything challenged from them, right? They always were given everything they wanted in, in the culture and never had to think about, oh, yeah, yeah. I, yes. I was born into privilege. And Yes. I remember... Hey, when I was 21 years old, I was working. And this white girl said, I'm free, white, and 21. That's the first time I had ever heard that before. So that tells you everything you need to know, especially mm-hmm. during that time. So this was in the 1960s. She said, she said, I'm free, white, and 21? Yes, sir. That's what she said. I never will forget it. <laughs> wow. I was about 21, not 77. I never will forget that. And so, you know, for you... When she said free, I mean, she probably didn't understand or realize what she really was saying, right? No, was she like didn't. Saying that I have the I have the privilege to move through the society freely. She did not understand what she was saying. But to you listening, yes, you <laughs> had a different perspective. 
<laughs> yes, I did. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So it's really interesting. I've, it seems like almost everything we've talked about here is meshed in with the other things, other topics, right? Like being yes. organized, you know, allows you to be polite and consistent. And being self-aware and being patient allows you to see other people's perspectives and builds yes. empathy. Yes. Oh, my God. So, you got it. You laid it out really concisely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Tell awesome everybody jokes. about goodshortbooks.com. Tell everybody about them. Because the do. books I'm, are really good. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to I'm gonna buy a few for my my buddies and my friends who are uh, new parents, absolutely, especially the mother's dozen. Yes. And I also have another one entitled My Simple Quotes to Live By. It's 167 quotes that I coined. I was intimidated by my coach. So she told me to write these uh, quotes, to develop these quotes. And I came up with 167. Started with zero. Wow. And then uh, one of them was chosen out of over 5,000 entries as one of 12 for a 2013 calendar. That quote states, and I post this on social media regularly, it's better to die chasing a dream never caught than to die never having chased the dream. And I post that. I wrote that quote a long time ago, and I post it regularly to encourage people to chase their dreams. There are a lot Mm -hmm. of dream squashers out there. They won't tell you that... Oh, you can't do that. Or that's a, that ain't necessary. Oh, don't allow them to do that to you. God gave everybody dreams, goals, skills, talents. you got to find what that talent is. And if you don't know, then some people already know what it is. So you then, it, it, but you got to find out what your talent is, what your skill is, what your gift is. I know mine is writing. Mm. And thinking deeply. Well, yeah, I do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also a good cook. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. And I, I there are some actual uh, recipes in Mother's Dozen as well, right? No, not in Mother's Dozen. But in the best way to keep a man is to let him go. There's The, the book is 64 pages. The best way to keep a man is to let him go is 64 pages. And that includes 22 pages of recipes. So I said all of that in the text in 40-some pages. Awesome. Awesome, Joyce. Well, we're down to down to 10 minutes, so let's pivot over to the three things game, which I am excited to to play with you. I think you're going to crush it. <laughs> uh, so the person with the nearest birthday goes first. So my birthday is in August. Uh, when is yours? February. Okay, so I'm up. And then this, I'll have this question, and then you'll have a, a different one. Okay. Here's my question. What are three things you have learned from women? What a, what a, what a timely question, considering we're speaking right now. One would definitely be manners, thinking of my mother right away, just because everything we talked about and being polite is a surefire way to make friends and kind of get opportunities that otherwise wouldn't wouldn't be there just by being genuine and authentic and, and being grateful for what's given to me and saying thank you. And it goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Secondly, second thing, I'll go to my sister on this one, would be work ethic and being curious. My sister's an awesome student, student of life, very thoughtful and always was someone to set, set a goal and go get it, which is awesome as a younger sibling to, to observe that and to kind of 
have that modeling. And then lastly, I'll think about myself in relationships and the relationships, my current one and, and other ones I've had definitely humility and seeing my dark side, seeing my, you know, impatience, things that come out in relationships that are, you know, they say relationships are like a mirror. So mm-hmm. definitely a lot of, a lot of self-improvement and self-work to be done that I've, I've observed and learned from my relationships. So mm-hmm. thanks for listening. And here's your question. What are three things you have learned about time? Wow. Number one, you never get it back. Mm. Use it wisely because you never get it back. The second thing is devote yourself to determining how you spend it, prioritizing it. And then I read something recently, too. The time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time. So Mm. that's another aspect of it. If you enjoy wasting that time, that is not wasted time. So time, it goes from the minute you are born to the minute you will die, which you don't know where that is. Use it. Use it to accomplish whatever it is that you want to accomplish. Because that's all you have is time. And uh, that's another thing, too. So do it now, because if you don't do it now, the time is going to pass anyway. So you should do it so that, you know, so you you can say you don't have time, but the time's going to pass anyway. So take it. Take advantage of it. That answer. Absolutely. I agree. There's always an excuse and no one's going to chase my dreams for me. Right. So I have to, I have to go go get them. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Joyce, this was an absolute pleasure to speak with you. You are so, so wise and articulate and I love your energy and I'm so impressed by what you're doing at, at this stage in your life, still making new content, having conversations and putting yourself out there. It's inspiring uh, thing to see. Thomas, it was such a pleasure. (laughs) You are so young. It's just, I'm glad to know you're in the world. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> For real. It's really good to see people like you. And, you know, it It just kind of buffers my sense of humanity, you know, so mm. to know that there are people like you out there. And I know that there are, but to see it in the flesh is, is something, you know, to hear you speak the way that you spoke about the current issues and all of that. So it's good to know you're around. You're awesome. There. Thank you so much. Just the journey's just beginning here on the podcast, so maybe next time you come out with a book or a publication, we can we can reconnect and, and talk some more. Okay. Well, I'm, I, I don't intend to write another book, but I didn't intend to write <laughs> ten. So <laughs> awesome. Well, everybody, go to goodshortbooks.com. Yes. And you can check please. out Joyce's work. And Joyce, thanks so much again. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you for having me. Good luck to you. Best wishes. Toe the line. Stay true. Toe the line. Will do. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Awesome, folks. Thank you for tuning into the show. Go check out Joyce's work at goodshortbooks.com. And we'll see you next Thursday on the Bro Nouveau Podcast.